This is the Northwestern Medicine Pod Talk. Here's Melanie Cole. Heart disease is the number one killer of women and is more deadly than all forms of cancer combined. The more a woman knows about heart disease, the better her chances of beating it. My guest today is Dr. Marla Mendelson. She's the medical director of the Program for Women's Cardiovascular Health at Northwestern Memorial Hospital. Dr. Mendelson, tell us a little bit about the current state of heart disease in women today. What's the prevalence and what's different now about what we know about this disease as it affects women? Uh, Well, there's good news and bad news. The good news is is that we're learning more. We have mandates that um, women need to be included in studies, but we're still playing catch up because traditionally women were not included in any great numbers in studies of cardiovascular intervention or medications. And we have a lot more data than we did, let's say, 20 years ago, but we're still learning and evolving. And What we need is we need to have enough women in these studies of cardiovascular medicines and interventions and devices to be able to say, women do this way, men do this way. Because we know from other things that women are not small men. They are different. With cardiovascular disease, they are very different. Down to the artery level, there are differences between men and women. So uh, we've learned that you know the same risk factors that put men at risk for heart disease put women at risk for heart disease. Part of the problem is we've got to have women understand that they may be at risk for heart disease and when in their life this becomes an issue. The other thing that has um, been reported in the popular press is that younger women are having heart attacks and that could be due to risk factors that go unrecognized or it could be the fact that we're rec- finally, finally recognizing the disease more when a woman comes in with chest pain. Then let's talk about the risk factors and, and what are the some of the very biggest ones that are unique for women? Well, women have the same risk factors as far as high blood pressure, elevated cholesterol, diabetes, smoking, and family history. Those are all very impactful for women as well as men. Women have a couple more. They have postmenopausal state because before menopause, they're circulating estrogen, which may have a protective effect against cardiovascular disease, but that stops at the time of menopause. And just giving women back hormones does not correct that uh, problem. Also, it has been shown that obesity in women is a more potent risk factor especially central obesity, because that may be associated with a metabolic syndrome. And this metabolic syndrome is a whole host of risk factors for coronary artery disease. And lastly, we have found that women who are sedentary, um, and that tends to be fairly common in women, um, they have an increased risk uh, if they're not exercising. So these things may be more gender-specific. for women compared to men. Dr. Mendelson, we often hear about signs and symptoms of heart attack and how those are different in men and women. But what about just the presence of atherosclerotic disease, cardiovascular disease? 
Are there symptoms that women would notice that maybe they're discounting as anxiety, stress, because those symptoms can be very similar? Tell us about some of the symptoms specific to heart disease that may not be diagnosed yet. Well, the symptoms are not always exactly as is written in the textbook or portrayed on television. And the classic grabbing the chest and falling over and sweating profusely is a very worrisome symptom, but in women, the symptoms may be a little more subtle. But you have to understand the circumstance that these symptoms are occurring. So if you take two 60-year-olds, a man and a woman, and they have the same amount of risk factors, he may have more classic chest pain, but they're pretty much equally at risk for having atherosclerosis. So if she starts having indigestion when she walks up a flight of stairs, that could definitely be her heart. If you're talking about two 45-year-olds, it might be different because a woman may still be premenopausal and have some estrogen protection. And if that chest pain that she had occurred, you know, after she had some very spicy food and laid down, that may be less likely to be from her heart. The problem is, is that the disease is quite common in the diabetic. And the diabetic man or woman do not have typical symptoms. So when somebody is a diabetic, you have to worry about them at any age that they may have, be having um, signs of atherosclerotic heart disease. One thing I find interesting is women, we always hear we have to take care of ourselves before we can care for our loved ones. And we spend so much of our time caring for everybody else and not always <laughs> ourselves. What do you want women to Classic. know? about a real, well, really, and what do you want women to know about the fact that we have to recognize these symptoms? We're very quick to push the men in our lives to see a urologist, but we're not always as quick to recognize some of these symptoms. Absolutely. That is so classic. I, you know, you have all of these stories and it was actually documented in a, in a article, a research paper, women will drive their husbands to the emergency room if they have a pain between their jaw and their belly button. However, women will stay home when they're having a heart attack, even if they're having fairly typical symptoms. They'll have chest pain and then they'll take some antacids and they'll, they'll fool around for a while. And, um, and yet, when a woman is at risk for heart disease, she needs to jump all over these symptoms. So and you only need one risk factor. So if somebody has an unfortunate family history, meaning that somebody in the family had a heart attack at age 40, that that person is at risk. And every, and chest pain or shortness of breath or jaw pain or even exertional back pain should be taken very seriously in that patient. Tell us about the effectiveness-based guidelines for the prevention of cardiovascular disease in women that was published by the American Heart Association, and what do they emphasize? What can women do to prevent heart disease? Well, the paper was quite long, and this was published a while ago, and it showed that all of the, many of the strategies that we accept uh, with good evidence in the literature that work in men to prevent heart disease also May, the literature may not be as strong just because there's less women in the studies, but there is literature to support getting the blood pressure down, ideal body weight, um, regular exercise, um, doing all of these things, being aggressive about diabetes uh, treatment, uh, blood pressure, optimal blood pressure, optimal cholesterol. 
all of those things do work in women. Uh, there were some rumors in medicine that, well, we don't have the data, so we can't really make the assumptions. But that was a, sort of a breakthrough that actually showed that we do have evidence that these things work and we need to be just as aggressive. What tests do you use lately to detect the presence of heart disease in women? Are we still using stress tests as one of the gold standards? If a woman comes to you and says, I get occasional chest pain, or I've had pain in my jaw, or I get back pain, but I'm really stressed out all the time, what tests would you perform to see if she is either having the presence of heart disease or at risk? I still like the stress test, and I use the stress test because for two reasons. One is it's still very good for predicting that if there's a blockage, what is the consequence of that blockage? Is that blockage actually decreasing blood flow when the heart is stressed? So it's still a very good test, and especially when it's done with echocardiography, we get good data in women. The second thing is, is that if it turns out that she's right, it was just due to anxiety, I have exercise parameters, and I can tell her to go to the gym, get her heart rate up to a certain safe level, 150 minutes a week. Um, So I can do that with that test. Doing a scan looking for coronary calcification can be useful, but it is, you know, radiation to the chest, and it doesn't tell you the consequences of having a blockage. Now, the absolute sine qua non gold standard as far as diagnosing coronary disease is still the angiogram. And the angiogram affords you the opportunity that if there is a blockage, you can do something about it with an angioplasty and a stent. Um, But that is an invasive procedure and it has some risks. So in certain situations, that may be the first test we do. But in most people, I still would rely on the stress test. And as we're using the word stress, tell us how stress is related to heart disease as women. We're notorious multitaskers. And can the stress of it, when they were doing those Framingham studies, and they were all on men, but more and more women were starting to be seen in the ER with heart disease and heart attacks, and some of it was linked to the stress of women entering the workplace. Tell us a little bit about how stress and cortisol levels can contribute to this inflammation, but also include sleep, diabetes, and you already discussed sedentary lifestyle. Right. Well, certainly, you know, when somebody is stressed, and and actually there was a study that came out, I think of the NIH years and years ago, where it looked at the number of jobs that a person has, whether they're in the home or outside of the home. So it goes back to that multitasking and the multi roles that people have that all sort of, you know, the stress gets kind of loaded on. And there are heart problems that are thought to be caused by stress um, that happen probably more often in women. It's not coronary artery disease per se, but it can be a significant decrease in heart function that is usually temporary, but it's it's a significant problem. Um, As far as stress contributing, stress contributes to bad behaviors. So when you're under stress, You have a list of 30 things you have to do. Exercise and sleep are at the bottom and in pencil. And so that's part of it. Also, when you're stressed, you go, well, I'm stressed. I should be able to eat whatever I want. So you think about some of the stress foods that people go to in that situation. Um, The easier foods, the convenience foods, the high-fat foods. So stress begets bad behavior. 
Now, a certain amount of stress or type A behavior may actually be helpful because people may be more committed to, you know, really vigorously pursuing prevention methods or recovery after heart attacks and things like that. They may be more committed and obsessive about their behaviors to, to really turn things around. So there's different ways of looking at it. So I think that, uh, and, and then again, you have everyone's stress is different. So for um, somebody who is a perfectionist, things that are not perfect, whether they're in a workplace or in a home place, that may be stressful for them. Somebody who really loves their work, they may find that as a stress reducer. But the best stress reducers besides sleep, which I don't think anybody gets enough sleep, um, is exercise. I always tell my patients, exercise has more benefits above the neck than below. Um, it is a great stress reducer. But, you know, when time is short, you, that's the last thing that gets done. As an exercise physiologist, Dr. Mendelson, I say here, here, <laughs> of course, because that really fits into that total picture of prevention. And when we're talking mm-hmm. about treatments, just for a minute, speak about some of the comorbid conditions, the treatments that you would use for diabetes, high blood pressure, obesity, cholesterol. We hear more and more about statins and their side effects. Do you feel that women sometimes hesitate to take their medications that might be required for these comorbid conditions because of their the side effects? Well, that's true. And all medicines do have side effects um, and we're living in an age now when actually the side effects are decreasing or they're easier to manage. The medications are getting better as far as that. They're more direct as far as the problem that they're addressing. There was, however, an interesting study a few months ago that showed that men and women were giving the same prescriptions after they had a cardiac event when they left the hospital, but the women didn't fill them as often. So there you go. That's so everyone crazy. is afraid of, yeah. They're, everyone's afraid of the side effects, um, and that's why, for example, when we treat hypertension, somebody comes into my office, their blood pressure is high, I go, ooh, you need to be on blood pressure medicine, you need to watch your salt, you need to exercise more, and maybe with some weight loss exercise, we can get you down on this medicine, but right now we need to treat it because you're at risk of a stroke or a kidney disease or a heart attack. Well, they feel fine, and I give them a medicine that may have some real or perceived side effects. And they don't really want to take it. And we I don't think, I think many people don't do it. And we also have data, national data, that shows that people are aware that they have high blood pressure. We're doing a pretty good job as clinicians treating high blood pressure. Uh, but people aren't taking their medicine and we're not, we're not getting the results we need. And that's because I don't think people are taking their medicine. I've been in practice a very long time and I have realized that people don't, or they'll take their medicine like right a few days just before they come and see me. So, but I don't think they're, they're with the program. There are different ways we can administer the medicines, either using multiple medicines with lower doses that may decrease the side effects or giving certain medicines at night. Then the, the effects of the medication may be more profound when people are sleeping. So um, there, there's ways around it, but we still need it. And the statin drugs they do more than just lower cholesterol. They probably stabilize plaque within the artery wall. And that's very important in the whole process of preventing uh, cardiac events. 
Wrap it up for us. What a wonderful segment and so important for women to hear and to share with their friends because we just don't hear this enough. Dr. Mendelssohn, give us your best advice about women and heart disease and how we absolutely have to pay attention to those signs that are telling us that something's not right. Well, I think that's the, the, the crux of it is that a woman or a man, for that matter, they need to be aware and they should go with their primary physician and identify all of their risk factors and have a plan for what they're going to do to modify their risk factors. They need to have a plan of how they're going to get exercise in their life. Our phones are watching us walk and measuring our steps. We have a lot of sophisticated, fancy, expensive ways to measure our steps. We should be shooting for, everybody should be shooting for 10,000 steps a day. And then on top of that, doing more vigorous exercise. We people do not have to eat meat and cheese, uh, especially if they have a cholesterol problem. And if they have high blood pressure, they should avoid salt. So there's so many things that people can do in addition to taking medicine. But what we're talking about is, you know, women may live longer than men, but what we're talking about here is the quality of life. And I think people can have a direct effect on their quality of life going forward. Thank you so much, Dr. Mendelson, for joining us and sharing your incredible expertise on women and cardiovascular disease and how important it is that we take care of ourselves. You're listening to Northwestern Medicine Pod Talk. For more information on the latest advances in medicine, please visit nm.org. That's nm.org. This is Melanie Cole. Thanks so much for tuning in.